Money Books with Aaron, Polly, Tim, and Wayne. I'm Aaron. I'm Polly. This is Wayne. Tim. God damn it. <laughs> There's no way I'm going last since we don't have Andrew or Jonathan, Tim. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, you know, I just I think it's time for the uh, for the uh, Jello podcaster wrestling, you know, to determine uh, the, the the last seat. What do you think, Wayne Paul? Has, Wayne has wrestling. I am totally not buying a ticket for that. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't blame you. That would be a horrible, horrible thing to video that would go up to millions of hits on YouTube That's overnight. Right. That's right. It would bump Mikey Mason's new music video from the top spot, and you know, for time immemorial. Slickery Tim and uh, <laughs> Wet Wayne. And Wet Wayne. <laughs> Show title, by the way. <laughs> oh, that's horrible. <laughs> but, I get abused. Speaking of wet, Paul's got a hurricane coming to town. Now, Paul, let me let me uh, just see if I can run this down real quick. Yes. Your swamps are on fire. You had an earthquake this week, and now the largest storm ever in recorded history is hitting Virginia today. Yeah, something like that. What the hell? Well, you know, um, apparently God just wants to wipe this state off the face of the map. And I don't blame him. I mean, really, what does Virginia (laughs) contribute? Well, I, I think I think God is upset by the fact that you know y'all don't have uh, you know topless strippers. I would be too. You know that there's yeah. not a, a fully nude strip club in Virginia. You know, except <laughs> at Pat Robertson's house. Oh, hey Tim, I'll tell you what. If Paul dies in this hurricane today, you can have second billing. I'll go last if Paul dies, and we can rename the show Funny Books with Aaron and Timmy because Timmy flows better. I don't think that I, what, what's going to happen is that Paul's not going to die in the storm. He'll just be missing. He'll be one of the lost. You know, yeah. they'll say, we don't know what happened to Paul Ponte. Nobody knows. Mm-hmm. You know, really, that's kind of a good excuse for me to just run away. <laughs> Shuck my responsibilities and that's just right. disappear like Bruce Banner. Yeah. Really, after the courting, Tim's going to drive there to kill him so he can get the billing. Walk down a highway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm recording from the eye of Irene right now, so it's very windy and rainy outside. Well, if you do get lost, we could send the Bureau for Paranormal Activity to try to find you. Ah, that would yes, be awesome. we could. We could do that. We could send a little Abe Sapien out to find you. Yeah. We'd send Roger the homunculus out after you, but, you know, things haven't fared so well for Roger. Well, or I can tell you who they did fare well for in that universe, Hellboy, because uh, I... Uh, uh, last week I talked about getting into Hellboy, and uh, so I followed up with my friend from work, and he was like, "Yeah, I spent like fifty bucks on uh, Amazon, <laughs> getting uh, getting some of the getting some of the trade uh, getting some of the trades." So he got the first I don't know, he's got seven of the first nine volumes of the, oh, wow. of, the of the series. He said he stuck with the just the just the series and not like one-offs and stuff right. but yeah mm-hmm. he was he was very excited so so were we helpful in him making selections he's he seemed to indicate we were good so. good we well, are the nice. great enablers <laughs> <laughs> yeah well, what's funny is if you listen to our advice we're like 
you know, Tim asked the question, you know, where should my friend start Hellboy? And we're like, at the beginning. And then buy this, 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 and this, which is everything. Yeah. Yeah. Really, we weren't all that helpful. At no point did we say stay away from. (laughs) I think it was everything. I think it was the enthusiasm about the topic that did it more than anything else. Hellboy's just awesome. I I I love that universe, and and like we said in the show last week, I, I almost think that BPRD is a stronger title than the core Hellboy title. Yeah. Well, you know, Wayne, I probably should have let you go third anyways, and I could have said that that was my birthday present to you, but I'm a dick, so I didn't try to do that. <laughs> yeah, so I wanted to hit on this. My, uh, my wife has a strong track record of getting good geek presents for me, things like razor-sharp batterings and, you know, all kinds of cool stuff like that. So for my birthday this year, she went out and she had uh, – basically she had her mom custom build a comic book – fixture so in my living room now i have this thing that looks kind of like a giant card catalog looks absolutely beautiful sitting next to the bookshelf that is a comic book cabinet it's got drawers where they're all measured out exactly right for putting comic books in can hold the equivalent of like three long boxes and it looks beautiful enough to have right out in the living room the top of it is completely flat so we we went out and we bought uh Two like bookends, so we've got trades all across the top. Absolutely beautiful, and I'm reading so many back issues because I can just pull out the drawer and flip through them, pull them out, and yeah, you've got access to them now. Yeah, it is w- probably the best gift I've ever been given. This oh, thing wow. is beautiful. I want to see a picture of it, Wayne. Uh, Wayne did tweet a picture of it at one point, so yeah, yeah I, but it I didn't will... have the trades on top of it. I mean, I, it sounds oh. pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, it is. It, it, send us a picture of it, Wayne, and if you're if you're comfortable with with us including it, I'll put it in the show notes. Will do. Okay. The uh, the difficult part about it was based on how many comics I have. How do you narrow it down to three long boxes <laughs> worth to put up there? So I spent all of last weekend because it was I was given this right after we were done recording. Like they were delivering it while we were recording, so oh, wow. I walked out and it's sitting in the living room. So after uh, after recording the next two days last weekend, I spent in the basement sorting my comics, going through them all, picking out which ones I was going to bring upstairs. And my back was killing me all week from moving yeah. around all these comic boxes. And best gift ever. That sounds so, awesome. Am I the only one when he said a comic book fixture? thought that maybe his wife gave him a life-size naked Shazam statue or something. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, she gave me this custom-made comic book fixture. You see, I was thinking of some kind of wall-mounted spin rack. And I was like, what does that look like? (laughs) (laughs) But no, I think I've got a better idea of it now. And it it sounds great. (laughs) It's not a naked Shazam. Got it. Well, I don't know how to describe it exactly. I I guess it's furniture because it's like a I said it's like a giant card catalog. Uh, that just sounds fantastic. The uh, there is a shop down in Austin that custom builds the uh, back issue bins for their shop, and they're and they're kind of like what you described. They're drawers. They roll out, and you know. Uh, and I'm like, can I buy one of these? No. <laughs> well, your guy, he, he's he's got a guy who makes them. I say, well, can can I hook up with your guy to to, to get one of these? No. Okay. <laughs> Fine. Yeah, the whole idea came because I saw one of those in a shop in Kansas City. 
And it's like, this is the coolest thing ever. And I've been talking about it for years ever since. So finally, after all this talking about it, she went out, did all the measurements, and had this thing made you know, as a surprise. That's great. That is pretty cool. You know, uh, my comic shop, they have a – their back issue bins are wooden. Mm-hmm. And it never occurred to me. One day I walk in, I'm like, you know, it's really cool that your back issue bins. You know, they're not the, the crappy cardboard ones that most comic shops have. And he says, do you know what that is? It's like, no. He says, it's just a bookcase on its back. <laughs> and I just use the shelves as the spaces in between the comics. And, you know, it, that's really all it is. It's a bookshelf on its back on top of, you know, you know they, they had to probably build some legs yeah, for it. Or legs something. or a table or something. Or yeah. a table under it. But, I mean, that's all it is. And it, it looks really nice. I mean, obviously not really conducive for being in the house because, you know, it's kind of large. But Well, cool. you know, back when I was a single guy, you know, and, and could do whatever the hell I wanted to do in my house, you know, those days are long over. <laughs> um, I had a whole comic book room. And so, you know, I, I it was like a like a comic book shop in this one room where I just had you know, all my long boxes on various tables and, and whatnot and a, a little place to sit and read and it was the best room ever. I don't have that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> did you have sales, regular sales and hot comics? I did. I for my I, I would sell myself quarter comics. <laughs> would you like to buy this for a quarter? Yes, I would. <laughs> did you give yourself discounts? I did all the time. And hand yeah. jobs. So, <laughs> <laughs> where did that come from? Uh, I don't know. So, <laughs> we're gonna put the link to this in the show notes. Mind but the moving hand on jobs? from that, <laughs> no, no, we don't need a picture of that one. Oh, okay. Um, but this week on Newsarama, there was a uh, an article about someone who was calling for a boycott. To action to the upcoming Action Comics number one, um, you know someone who felt that not only was it disrespectful of current Superman fans and the fans of the current continuity, all three of them left, um, but just that you know Action Comics is an American legend. It's the longest running un you know title without being renumbered, um, which again I I also think is kind of untrue. Uh, yeah. And this person felt that. We should be boycotting Action Comics number one, but if you really want to read it, you should pirate it. That way, we show DC that we really mean business. And um, Aaron, guys, what'd you think about that? Y- you know, I I do understand the uh, point, the original point that the you know blogger or whatever was making, uh, in that you know a lot of the reason for the reboot to Superman, the way they're rebooting it, is because of the you know Siegel Schuster lawsuit, you know, with uh, with DC Comics and you know DC the the recent decisions that you know uh, certain aspects of the character are going to revert back to the creators. Um, you know, it does appear that that is the reasoning for what they're doing with uh, Superman. And, you know, DC has got a really bad track record of having screwed over Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster, you know, just really bad. I mean, they, they have never really embraced the creators and, you know, uh, treated them appropriately. Uh, You know, the fact that uh, I want to say it was Jerry Siegel really died a rather poor man, um, you know, is testament to that. When you look at how many, you know, millions and millions and millions of dollars they ha- 
made on Superman at the time and continue to make in perpetuity. Um, so I do understand that feeling wherever you fall on the creator rights issue. Um, but it, I think you severely lose your credibility when you say, oh, yeah, and you can still read what uh, what Grant Morrison is going to be doing there because you can always pirate the book. Yeah, that was where my issue came in, too. Yeah. If someone wants to boycott you know, action for any number of reasons, whether it be because Grant Morrison's writing it and it's going to be a horrible version of Superman, although I'm still going to buy it to try it, whether it's because they don't like the renumbering, they don't like DC's practices, any – you know, even if they want to boycott it just because of the, uh, you know, all the firing of the female creators, whatever reason, I am perfectly cool with a boycott of Action Comics. But if you choose to boycott, you forfeit your right to read the book. I agree. If you're not going to pay for it, you ought not to be reading it. Yeah. Well, and here's the thing. So if you're going to boycott Action Comics, boycott it for one of the reasons that Wayne said, but don't boycott it because they're screwing over the Seagull Schusters. Because boycotting it, you're just taking more money away from the Seagull Schusters. And not only that, I mean, you'd have to boycott every non-creator-owned comic. I mean, the comics world, I mean, both the big two are kind of, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful here, but it's kind of founded on screwing over creators. (laughs) Yeah, and the person that's calling for this boycott was going on about how really Marvel was worse with everything they did to Kirby. Right. And it's like, let's boycott DC to get back at what Marvel did to Kirby. Huh? That doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you. The I think that a lot of what we enjoy today is built on the backs of some rather uh, spectacular creative teams. You know, the, the fact that, you know, if you were to pull out what Jack Kirby was responsible for over at Marvel, you wouldn't have a whole lot left. You know, um, I... I I land somewhere uh, in the middle on the, you know, creator rights aspect because, hey, all these guys knew what they were getting into when they got into it. You know, Uh, those guys sold uh, comics. They worked for for their paychecks. Um, And I have a I have an issue with, you know, the, the attempt to reclaim rights that the corporations have spent their investments making worthwhile. You know, yep. these 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 products wouldn't be worth what they're worth if you didn't have these companies, you know, making them and and taking care of them and marketing and all that kind of stuff. Um, they wouldn't be worth what they're worth. Yeah. And some people thought about things like this. Stan Lee kept some rights on his characters, yeah. which is why he's being sued by his own company now for them. <laughs> but I, I find that hilarious. I don't know if you guys have heard about that, but uh, Stan Lee was it Stanley Media Incorporated? Mm-hmm. This has kind of come out lately because they're suing for the rights to Conan the Barbarian after the movie came out. Well, looking through that lawsuit, a lot of people are just saying Stanley was suing. Stanley hasn't had anything to do with Stanley Media Inc. in quite a while. And they're even suing Stanley over his transfer of character rights back to Marvel on a lot of the Marvel characters. You know, just getting back to the, the Action Comics thing. There are a lot of other worthy causes to get all nerd-ragey about. I'm not sure that Superman and the Schusters are one of them that I would be all, this is a tragedy. <laughs> well, hey, I, I, agree, I agree with you. I mean, there, there, I think that it, there, there are some, some tragic aspects to that story. 
And you know, certainly I do think that DC could have honored the the people that created the concepts of that character better than they have. Um, but in terms, I, I just this isn't something I'm ever going to boycott. I am I am more interested in boycotting uh, Grant Morrison titles than I am in boycotting it because DC has mistreated one of its business partners. And the thing was, Schuster and them, they weren't weren't overly upset about this. The lawsuits seemed to come all after their death when their estate's trying to get the money back. They weren't the ones that was pushing, saying that they were screwed and trying to get the rights back. It's people that had nothing to do with the actual creation that are trying to cash in on their relatives' creations. Well, yeah, the 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 Siegel, Joe Siegel, Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. I get my J's confused. Yeah, Siegel Schuster did contest this. I mean, they did. They were the ones that started uh, the lawsuits. But you're you're absolutely right. I mean, we're now looking at estates versus the actual creator that is is going to be rewarded here. Well, and let's be honest. If for God's sake, if you really want to stand up for creator rights, just contribute money to the Hero Initiative, uh-huh. and you know, and 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 good causes like that that support you know creators and and people in the comics books world, um, you know, with medical bills and things like that. That you know, when when shit hits the fan for some of these freelance comic creators, health wise, they're screwed. Yeah. Um, you know, support initiatives like that. Don't go all stupid ragey and support piracy on Action Comics number one. For really, I mean, let's be honest, it it doesn't affect you. It really doesn't. You know, you're just you're just screwing yourself. You're screwing the creators even more by pirating comic books. That's my. And it's kind of it's kind of dumb to to boycott something that you can give back and get something else for free. You know, and Paul kind of hit on a point there. You're you're screwing the creators over, the current creators. So you're cre- you're causing a boycott because you're upset with how DC treated the original creators by harming the current creators. Yeah, no, it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But you know what does make a lot of sense? DC Comics published by Marvel Comics. Well, not nowadays, but back when it came up, it made a lot of sense. <laughs> on over on uh, Jim Shooter's blog, if you'll recall, Jim Shooter was the uh, 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 editor in chief over at mm-hmm. Marvel back in the eighties, uh, and he has been publishing a blog, telling all of all of his stories, airing all the dirty laundry, and uh, one of his uh, blogs this week was on. DC Comics approaching him to publish their comics. It's pretty wild, you know, uh, that you had and, uh, you know, senior DC leadership saying, "Hey, what do you guys think about you know doing Superman?" <laughs> and you know, let's be honest, it, this is not. I mean, it sounds unprecedented. It has happened. Uh, the Heroes Reborn initiative that Marvel did, yeah, um, you know, back in the '90s was. You know that w- was actually licensed to Image. They didn't hire Image creators to work for Marvel. Those characters were licensed to Image, uh, Wildstorm and um, Top Cow. That's right. Not Top Cow. Uh, Rob Liefeld's company. I don't. Uh, Maximum mm-hmm. to to produce those characters. So it's not. You know this stuff does happen. And you have to remember but, uh, this was this was back in like 1983 when DC couldn't publish a good comic to save their lives. You know, and they could they they were very successful in the merchandising of their properties, 
but not anywhere near as successful as Marvel was. In fact, at that time, Marvel had like 69% of the market share uh, in terms of comic book sales because, you know, Marvel was on fire in the 80s. Yeah, this was the time frame that basically led up to Crisis on Infinite Earths. Yeah. I don't think that would have ever happened. That reboot would have never happened if DC wasn't doing so badly at the time. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're just – in fact, I wasn't reading – you know, when I first started reading comics uh, back in March of uh <laughs> I started <laughs> with DC but rapidly moved over to Marvel. And I mean I was I was a, a total you know Marvelite all through the 80s up until Crisis because I, ju- I think the, the first title that I read just prior to Crisis was Teen Titans. You know, new Teen Titans with Marvel Wolfman and George Perez. Teen Titan, that was their number one selling title. Yeah. Well, it for was, good that reason. It was the big boy. Yeah. And, you know, well, it was. I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, it's also to report, important to remember this time frame. Um, Marvel had a lot of licensed properties, too. Uh, they were printing comics for Star Wars, Indiana Jones. Um, they had their Star Comics line going. Mm-hmm. You know, the so big, they had a lot of. Yeah. You know, the so big they were definitely getting revenue comic share. Books too. I mean, mm-hmm. He Man. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it would have been interesting to see. You know, we see in that article that, you know, John Byrne, of course, was working at Marvel and, you know, doing things like uh, Iron Fist and X Men. And uh, I think that was prior to his Fantastic Four run. But, you know, he was, he was a staple over there at Marvel and he was all super jazzed, uh, according to Shooter's blog, about, you know, doing the, the Superman book. And, of course, we would see years later, post crisis, that John Byrne would go over and do the Man of Steel books, uh, re-envisioning Superman for over 20 years. Yeah, Byrne even made a cover for the first Marvel issue of it. I really think we saw the first Marvel issue of it, and it was what he ended up doing over at DC. Because they basically, he did when he was doing his relaunch, he went. He didn't even want to go that far from where the character was. DC kept telling him, no, we want you to push it even more. So he he went even further away from what the character had been than he originally intended. Mm-hmm. And some of his plans for Superman's powers were very interesting. Most of them were psionic related. Mm-hmm. You know, he was uh, his strength was telekinesis and things like that were hinted at all through his run, but never really fully developed on before he left. And that that is my era of Superman. I mean, I didn't start reading comics through it, but. The John Byrne Superman is – that's the epitome of the character to me. That Man of Steel miniseries yeah. is the best definition of who Superman is of any Superman you know, in continuity ever. Well, you know, uh, Wayne, you and I are brothers from another mother because I, I feel the exact same way about, about Superman. I mean I know uh, John Byrne is a real polarizing force in comics and you either love him or hate him. And, you know, on any given day, I can feel either of those ways. <laughs> but uh, he, the work that he did on Superman is foundational to the character that I love. Um, and I, this, that's what just breaks my heart about, you know, the new 52 is losing uh, that Superman. And then again, I, I, and I'll say it one more time. I'll say it one more time, Paul. I, I really hope that at some point they come back and, and tell us, give us just one title uh, with that character and that continuity, you know, kind of like, you know, uh, uh, Chris Claremont's, you know, X-Men book, 
You know. no, I'm sure they will. They'll have DC Retroactive the 2000s. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> now, I, I, on a related note, uh, you know, we were talking about the the uh, you know boycott and whatnot, and when they they were the the blogger had said, you know, you could pirate you know Grant Morrison's Action Comics or you could burn steal it. And I had to go look up that term because I was like, "What the hell is burn stealing?" You know, like John Byrne. And I, I, and I had I had imagined, you know, that uh, you know this was something that was attributed to John Byrne. And you know, so you you go and and you look it up on Urban Dictionary, and Urban Dictionary says reading the comic in the comic shop without paying for it. You know, I'm putting it back on there. And I was like, God, that John Byrne, he's a dick. He must have been doing this, and that's why they call it burn stealing. And so for you know an hour or so, I was operating under the impression that you know John Byrne just visits local comic shops, reads the bo- reads the books, and then leaves <laughs> without paying. But no, no, it's something that he called stealing on his forums, and thus it was attributed Byrne stealing. So have you guys ever done that? Uh, no, I've never I've done never it done at a comic that. store. I wouldn't do it at a comic store, but. I have done it for books that I don't normally read, at like at Walmart. Oh, I back, have totally done it at Barnes and Noble. Yeah, back I, when I, Walmart had, uh, you know, had their still had comics on the shelves and things. Mm-hmm. There was a McDonald's in the back, and I'd grab one <laughs> or two books, go back, because my wife was doing demos, giving out samples of food. So I'd have about an hour there where I was waiting for her to finish. So I'd grab comics, go back, and I'd keep up on all the titles I wasn't buying for a while. Like it was a, I would do it every week. Well, you know, Barnes and Noble, you know, has that that nice big graphic novel section, and so when I'm, you know, at the mall and waiting for the wife to finish whatever she's doing, I'll just go and hang out at Barnes and Noble, sit in one of their comfy chairs, and read a, a graphic novel that I would, you know, not otherwise be interested in. You know, so I say, hey, you know, let me try out this thing, and then if I like it, I'll buy it at my local comic shop. That's exactly what I did with uh, Superman Earth One. Uh-huh. I wasn't sure about it. My wife had her brand new Nook, and she wanted to go and play around on the Barnes & Noble network and do the downloads. So I sat there with the uh, with Earth One, read all the way through it, loved it so much, I went ahead and bought it. Yeah. From Barnes & Noble. Let's talk about a book that Barnes I wouldn't Noble. do that to. Ultimate and- Comics, The Ultimate's number one. I wouldn't steal and go hide in McDonald's and read and then bring back with my <laughs> greasy McFry fingers. <laughs> but did but you these, buy these, these, But these three clowns did. So I got, I got a question about the Ultimates. Number one, why uh-huh. the hell was it polybagged? Okay, and I will because apparently certain copies were signed by Stan Lee. And why so did that's Stan why Lee sign this? I have no fucking clue. Because it's not like he, he didn't wrote invent it. any of these characters, did he? Iron Man. Did um, Stan Lee invent any of these characters? Uh, I thought Iron Man, but he didn't have anything to do with this book. <laughs> don't overthink it Aaron okay. that's why it happened yeah I tore open the bag in the shop I'm like why is this bag he's like well some of them are signed by Stanley I'm like well I'm going to open it and throw the bag away just to let you know because I know mine's not signed yeah. <laughs> yeah that was the very first thing I did was like when I got in my car I ripped open the bag and I'm looking at it it's like why is this bagged yeah <laughs> okay. He said, do you want another one that you could don't have to open? What is this? Nineteen ninety? <laughs> yeah, it's not going to be worth more. It's going to be your fact. This book is going to go down in price. Let me tell you. Stanley made Reed Richards. No, I, I, well, I, he, he was involved in Thor, and 
you know, I, I just I, – I, just because you made these characters, what, you know, 40, 50 years ago, um, doesn't mean I need your autograph on a book that you had absolutely nothing to do with. I, I, I bet you those people wouldn't boycott it if uh, Siegel Schuster signed uh, Action Comics number one. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> okay, so – the Ultimates, Ultimate Comics, The Ultimates number one by uh, John Hickman and uh, this Ribic fella. Um, what'd you guys think? I thought this could have been an Ultimate Fallout issue because it was kind of set up. I mean, it's still setting up Ultimate X-Men in Ultimate Comics, The Ultimates. Mm-hmm. We don't really see much of any of the Ultimates in it at all. I mean, I'm enjoying that Reed Richards is... You know, still seems to be the big bad guy. Yeah. That, you know, Dr. Doom's got nothing on Reed Richards. He is going to be a far better villain than Doom ever was, I think. Yeah, I I enjoyed it, but this was all set up. There was nothing really going on. Am I supposed to know that Reed Richards was in this book? Yeah, he's the very first thing you see on the first panel. Oh, that's. They never actually called him Reed Richards. Yeah, they did. That happens in Ultimate Fallout. Yeah, but you yeah. know those are all his future, his ultimate universe future foundation people. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. So not new reader friendly. Just putting that out there. Yeah. Well, yeah, I can see that. I can see that. But uh, you know, okay, so let's start. You've got this, you know, interesting page where you know Reed Richards is setting up his new little dome, whatever the hell that is. And then the next page is a double page spread. On a white page, black letters, the ultimates, <laughs> Hickman, Ribic, White. Really? <laughs> You're kind of too late. I already bought it. Why do I need a double-page spread for the book I, I'm holding in my hands? I uh, That just seemed like a way to eat up two pages. And if the, if the artwork on all the other pages wasn't just amazing, uh, I, I would bitch about that a whole lot more. But uh, I got to say the interiors of this book – are just fantastic. I love how cinematic the action is and the settings are in this book. I just think they're they're just amazing. Yeah, and some of the character moments are wonderful too. Mm-hmm. I love the uh, new Jarvis. I, okay, so I, on that page, there is a comment that is made that I don't understand. Okay, okay. So new Jarvis. <laughs> um, he says, you know, if you uh, he says that woman seems to have rather inconveniently misplaced her ankles. What the hell does that mean? She's fat. I'm serious. That that's what he's meaning. That's yeah. why Tony Stark is like, yeah, I'm tired of going for super thin models. Okay. He says, yeah, I'll be dating women who actually eat. He, he he's calling her fat. Huh. Okay. Yeah. I, I didn't get that because she's not. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I guess, she's not drawn fat. <laughs> yeah, okay, and that's what I didn't understand because you know she seems rather trim in the image, and I just I didn't understand that. I was like, what the hell does that mean? That whole conversation, <laughs> though, I love that. I mean, the uh, you know, and it's William, William, sir. My name is William, and that that just that whole conversation about I didn't I didn't hire a William. I hired a new Jarvis. <laughs> <laughs> if yeah. I wanted a William, I'd have hired a William. Yeah. Um, one of the things that, you know, in looking at the, 
you know, the Captain Britain and his Excalibur team, one of the things that occurred to me w- that would be a nice fit for the Ultimate Universe is Miracle Man. You know, uh, Marvel bought the rights to Miracle Man over a year ago, year and a half ago now. Um, we haven't seen them do anything with it except give us reprints from you know the 40s and the 50s. I think that uh, Miracle Man would be a really nice fit in the Ultimate Universe, and I'd love to see that. I could see that. Yeah, I'm not really caring about the whole Captain Britain storyline and all of them, mm-hmm. but I have to say that that page in here where the uh, Thor hands him a drink and he pours oh, yeah. it out, that was just the art on all of those panels and the looks on everyone's faces and Nick Fury cussing what he sees oh, yeah. happen. There's that, you know, because Nick Fury's watching, you know, because, you know, Captain Britain is coming to set the Asgardians straight because, you know, they raided a beer hall or a, 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 a brewing plant in England. And so, <laughs> or in Europe. Uh, and so, you know, Captain Britain and, you know, two of his Excalibur teams show up and they, they, they come into the hall and you see all of these Asgardians, you know, lifting their mugs and singing and you've got a drunk bear there, which is awesome. <laughs> in fact, you know, I, I have to tell you, uh, Wayne, I thought of Noble Bear on that page. You know, from the Fear the Boot forums. Nice. <laughs> so, uh, Anyway, so you know, and it's there. There's no dialogue on this page at all. There's no narration on the page. It's just images. And so, yeah, and I do love that there's no explanation to the bear being there. He's just a drunk bear. Well, you know, they mentioned the bear earlier on. You know, in the earlier on in the story when they were talking about the uh, the raid on the uh, on the uh, you know beer plant. So anyway, so you got Captain Brittany's calling calling them out. You know, you guys, you know, you're you're doing you're, you're not supposed to. And Thor comes up behind him and hands him a beer. You know, he's all, he's all Thory, he's all Thunder God, but he's he's your good Thunder God, right? He's gonna offer you a beer. Hey, buddy, it ain't so bad. Drink a beer. And Captain Britain takes his beer, turns it upside down, and the look on Thor's face is fantastic. You know, just like, oh no, you didn't. And uh, and then it just cuts to the only dialogue on the page is, is Nick Fury going shit, <laughs> because then it just it turns into you know a, a, a bar fight and it is awesome. The 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 uh, the cutaway when they're showing uh, Captain Britain and Thor and the other Asgardians fighting is just terrific. I absolutely love it. So okay, so I read this book. Uh huh. And much like every time I pick up an Ultimate Comics book, mm-hmm. I was disappointed. Um, not in the art. The art was fantastic. Uh, Esad Ribic, or whatever, however you pronounce uh-huh. his name. Um, great artist. In fact, uh, you know, he did some work on Uncanny X-Force. That was pretty nice, too. Now, I felt, and I love Jonathan Hickman. I'm a big Jonathan Hickman fan. I felt like the story was lacking a little bit. So, okay, tell me what you thought was lacking, Paul. Uh, I just didn't find it interesting. Um, it, and, you know, I wonder if that's because you, you didn't read Ultimate Fallout. And maybe that is. But, I mean, as a number one, I shouldn't have to read I don't uh, an epilogue to a previous crossover. You know? Well, yeah. and Well, I mean, you know, Wayne and I were into uh, uh, what was the story before Ultimate Fallout? Death uh, of Spider-Man? Or no, before the, that was uh, Ultimate Doom. Yes, Ultimate Doom. We read Ultimate, Ultimate Mystery, Ultimate Secret, yeah. Ultimate Doom. So we read that entire you know twelve issue series. 
that really feeds into this a lot. I mean, this this is very much you know following into that, and I think that's what you're not picking up on, Paul. Yeah, and I have and, to say the uh, the very first comics I brought up and put into this comic cabinet was my Ultimate stuff. I have every issue of Ultimate Spider-Man, every issue of Ultimate X-Men. I left out Ultimatum and things like that down in the basement, but I brought <laughs> I brought up this mini these three mini series leading up to this. Because I I am so hyped for Ultimate Universe right now. You made Jeff Loeb stay down in the basement. That's right. I think that's great. Well, and and I think you're right, Paul. I mean, as far as criticism goes, it is. Th- I would say that this is probably not a new reader friendly book. And that that thought didn't even occur to me until you said it. Um, simply for the fact that you know I've been been in this since the beginning of that whole Ultimate Doom storyline. You uh, know, I thought about it because as I flipped through, I realized that new readers wouldn't know that that was Reed Richards. There's no indication. I only know because we saw him in that costume in Ultimate right. Fallout. Otherwise, I wouldn't have had any idea that was supposed to be Reed Richards. Yeah, and I think that's probably a mistake. I mean, it should say it somewhere. Yeah. But I, as far as I'm concerned, you know, as some guy who's who's been in since then, this was fantastic. I absolutely enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed this from beginning to end, with the exception of not understanding the ankle reference. Well, now yeah. you do. Yeah, same here. I enjoyed it beginning to end. I thought it was a great setup for what's gonna what's coming next. Mm-hmm. I do think it was still a lot of setup for other books too. Mm-hmm. But you know, I'm fine with that. If this is going to be the cornerstone title of the Ultimate Universe that the others are going to grow out of, that's fine. Yeah. Some title has to be the cornerstone. Yeah, and as far as the the Asgardian incident in Europe, uh, the dialogue is yes, well, several of these gods uh, pillaged a barren brow facility yesterday because they were thirsty, sir. And while it was the uh, tamest event to date, it was also the third occurrence this week. And our European allies are both confused and concerned by their behavior. What? And then Nick Fury says, "Well, well, what's confusing? It's a bear that drinks beer. How could they not? <laughs> how could you not want to try that?" <laughs> Brown. So, yeah. so, so speaking of cornerstones in the in the Marvel universe, if Ben Grimm holds still, he looks like a cornerstone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Also written by Jonathan Hickman. FF number eight uh, came out this week. That's what you wanted me to transition. Paul. That's right. <laughs> uh, and there was no Ben Grimm. <laughs> there was no Ben Grimm. You're right. He's taking a couple days off. That's right. He, uh, well, he's yeah. busy with his Avengers schedule. Well, the kids hurt his feelings, and he left a couple issues ago. That's right. They were well, neat. I guess it was more than a couple issues because we had three issues of of inhuman know, the return nonsense. of yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. so I just want to say there is a page where Sue Storm is sitting in a chair with her with her legs crossed, and it just. It almost looks like it's modeled after um, uh, Fatal Instinct. Fatal Instinct? Is that what it was? Basic Instinct. Basic Instinct. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just waiting for her to do the uncross, but uh, <laughs> it's a very nice picture of uh, Ms. Richards there. <laughs> they seem to have made her look much younger since they've started the the FF. And, and much hotter. Let's not forget yes. that. Yes. Yeah, I have to say, this issue continues my trend of Reed Richards is a better villain than Doom. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Richards will mess you up. Yeah, I mean, Doom is interesting here, but he gets blindsided entirely. 
So yeah, Reed Richards is a superior villain to Doom. Yeah. I so Paul, you uh didn't much yeah. care for uh Ultimates number one. What'd you think of FF? I, I loved FF. And I, I other than those two inhumans issues, which I, I gotta be honest, didn't make a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Um I've enjoyed every issue of the series, so uh, I've enjoyed six of the eight issues, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and I enjoyed this book. I enjoyed the hell out of this book, and we got Steve Epting back on art. Oh, I enjoyed yeah. seeing the villains fighting side by side with the Fantastic Four. Um, some great moments. I, I love, you know, Reed has a, a short discussion with uh, Sue. And, you know, there's, it's kind of like an argument, but kind of not really. Yeah. And then, you know, he walks out, and Spider Man's like, how'd it go? And Reed Richard goes, what's your least favorite thing to do? <laughs> says, dentist. And Reed Richard goes, then root canal. And it just, it was just perfect. I yeah. mean, it was, it was a conversation that, you know, you don't see Reed Richards having that type of humor often. Yeah. And uh, I just really, really dug that, that characterization of him. I have to say that I'm rather amused because, you know, Sue does the whole rundown with Reed, right? And it is... Uh, hold on just one second. I'm going to find it. It is, you know, um, and actually he does it with, with his, uh, father with, with Sue in the room. And, um, I'm sorry, I'll edit out all the, uhs. <laughs> um, but you know, it, it's running down the events, you know, so that, you know, you rebuilt the bridge, you know, to the, uh, you know, explaining what happened. You rebuilt the bridge to the other universes. And uh, that you were supposed to destroy. And he says, yes. And he says, uh, and that led you to the council where other yous abandon their families so that they can focus on bigger, more important things like saving worlds. Yeah, I did. And that they got loose here because your daughter was able to break into your impenetrable lab. Yeah. And so Val, because she broke into the lab and uh, let the alternative reads into the universe – <laughs> then went and recruited all of these supervillains to help defeat the alternate the alterna reeds. Um, she got a timeout. <laughs> <laughs> and that just tickles me to no end. So you know, <laughs> Val is is in timeout in her room, and she's decided that she doesn't want to be in timeout in her room. So she's trying to you know wire the doors to let her out, and you know she gets a little electric shock electric shock and here's the computer representation of herbie telling her unauthorized access denied accessing message um val 0024 you know better young lady love dad time out extended 20 minutes (laughs) (laughs) and but okay so here's my my one complaint about steve epting's art i can't tell the difference between some of the kids and so the the kid who you know cuts the hole in the wall to let Val escape, I can't tell who that is. I don't think I that's ha- Franklin. I say I have the same problem. I'm not sure which kid that is. I mean, it could be any one of three of them. Yeah. I right, it doesn't it look Franklin. like Franklin. It doesn't look like Franklin to me, but I, I, I have think a hard it's time kid, telling him apart. I think it's the kid that you know worships Mephistopheles or whatever. You know, at the no, dinner table. Possible. I don't think it's Franklin. I don't think Franklin would cut a hole in the wall when his sister's in a timeout because Franklin's pretty straight laced and gay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on. He didn't go by Frank. He goes by Franklin. Kids gay. Just saying. <laughs> you know, I uh, I read a couple of Hickman's Fantastic Four 
storylines before that series turned into FF. Uh-huh. And I got to say, out of everything I've read, I think his stuff on FF is probably the best of his run. Oh, I agree. Other I think, than those I think he, two inhuman issues. I think that he uh, he got the book where he wanted it to be. Yeah. Now, I do want to say, if you like FF, if you're a fan of the FF, you definitely should be picking up X-Men number 16 this week. Um, it, it is a FF, X-Men... I won't say crossover because it doesn't cross over into FF, but it's a team-up book. Um, and it's the first time that you've seen Magneto and Doctor Doom on the side of good teamed up together. And, uh, you know, that that's kind of how they suckered me in. They're like, when have you ever seen Magneto and Doctor Doom team up for a good cause? It's like, huh, it's a good point. Um, and it's just a dynamite book. I got to be honest. If you, if you love FF, you're really going to love this stuff. If you like how Dan Slott wrote the fantastic or the FF when they crossed over into Amazing Spider-Man, you know, similar type fun tale, you know, told on an island with dinosaurs. They're, I guess they're in the Savage Land. Um, just really enjoyed the hell out of the book. Lots of humor in it, uh, you know, more than the FF book. Uh, but, you know, great art. Just a really, really good book. So I really mm-hmm. recommend picking up X-Men 16. Now in the in the pages of FF, there's an ad for Annihilator's Earthfall number one. Yes. And I certainly didn't much care for the last Annihilator se- series just because you know the art was so awful. But boy, that cover looks awfully nice with yeah, Beta Ray Bill. Is it? I, yeah, I see. I, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> because I really needs me some Beta Ray Bill, and that cover looks fantastic with Beta Ray Bill putting the smack down on Captain America. But yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, I'll pick, I'll pick it up in trade or in quarter bin. <laughs> yeah, I will. I will flip through it on the. Uh, I'll burn steal it, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I won't burn steal it. I'll just Even- pirate it and I'll boycott it. <laughs> <laughs> I I hate when cover art looks so much better than the art that's inside. But you know, I did the absolute opposite of pirating or stealing. Journey into Mystery Fear itself. It's a book I wanted to read so bad I bought it twice. <laughs> Seriously? Seriously, because, you know, last week uh, Tim said, uh, hey, Aaron, did you uh, pick up uh, Journey into Mystery 626? And I was like, damn it. I didn't realize it wasn't in my pool. So I went out Saturday, last Saturday after we recorded, and I picked up the issue. And so when I picked up my pools this week, um, I didn't look through – what, I, what he gave me because they always give me the right stuff and uh, they put the journey into mystery that wasn't in my box last week in my box this week so I am the proud owner of 626 twice <laughs> stay tuned uh. fans for a chance to win journey into mystery yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Paul what'd you think you know, uh, we've we really dug this book since the very beginning, so it's no surprise probably to hear that I did enjoy this issue. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, th- th- this is featuring young Loki. You know, he's still – I'm still not 100% sure where this is going, and that's kind of the point. Right. You know, Loki knows what his mischief is going to lead to, but we're, we're not 100% there yet. Yeah. Um, so Loki, you know, is, is working on something that apparently does have something to do with fear itself. Um Hopefully very little, since Fear Itself is so hideous. But, uh, <laughs> spoilers on, spoiler warning on, um, apparently it involves Loki taking control of the Destroyer, uh-huh. which was pretty awesome. Yeah, and, you know, arming him with a shadow of the Twilight Sword, uh, 
which is I, I loved the bit on the Twilight Sword. You know, uh, Loki has to travel to Limbo so that he can see you know the fire giant Surtur, who is like the big bad of the of the Asgardian stories, and you know uh, Surtur has been you know owns the Twilight Sword. Which is, you know, the sword that can, you know, cut through reality and 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 you know, just pretty pretty darn nasty. And you know, it's this gigantic sword, you know, because you know, Surtur's a giant. And mm-hmm. what Loki wants is the shadow of it. And I just thought there was this neat scene. He's like, angle it differently because that's kind of a big shadow for me. And you know, angles it to a smaller sword. I just thought that was such a nice touch. Yeah. I loved it. I, I, I uh, Kieran Gillen does a remarkable job telling this story. I, I think Kieran Gillen, it's obvious that Kieran Gillen loves young Loki. Yeah. And uh, I do too. I, I love young Loki. I'm Marvel really, Damien. <laughs> Marvel Damien. Yeah, I love Marvel's Damien Wayne. Yeah. Um, just fantastic stuff. I, I'm, I, I'm getting more used to the interior art of the mm-hmm. book. Yeah. Okay. And I know I have, remember I had some issues with it those first couple of issues. Yeah. But uh, I, I'm enjoying it more, the, the art. And I, I just, I love the story. I, lo- I love this character. Um, you know, like I mentioned, I read his introduction. I reread his introduction. I, I bought the trade paperback from Twipster mm-hmm. of how Matt Fraction introduced him. And um, I'm kind of glad I skipped it when it first came out because I may not have liked Marvel Damian Wayne <laughs> had I read his introduction. Yeah. Um, but the, the stories that I've read him in, I've just enjoyed his character. And uh, you know, I look forward to seeing more of him. I really 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 hope <laughs> that you know marvel doesn't plan on making him adult loki anytime soon because then my interest will be gone entirely <laughs> yeah he's yeah. a devious little bastard yeah and there's something charming about him as as a as a child character whereas adult loki irritates the fire out of me you know like why hasn't someone just you know torn his head off and worn his head on their belt oh wait we did that in thor disassembled but uh <laughs> Which awesome story, by the way, but uh, I, I I really I, I dig Journey into Mystery. I think it's it's a terrific title. Agreed. But I don't even know how to transition into it. <laughs> <laughs> so this week, four Flashpoint tie-ins. I think the the last round of Flashpoint tie-ins was released. Yeah. Uh, Hal Jordan, number three, Lois Lane and the Resistance, number three, Project Superman, number three, and Kid Flash Lost, number three. Um, like I said, the last of the tie-ins before next week's Flashpoint, number five, wrapping up the Flashpoint universe, and Justice League, number one, introducing us to the new 52. Um, so Aaron and I picked up all four tie-ins. These are some of the series that we were reading. What'd you think of them, Aaron? Um, some were hit, some were miss. Okay, what do you consider a miss? Okay, I consider Hal Jordan number three a miss. I consider the entire Hal Jordan series a miss. I'll agree with that. Yeah. I, I felt, uh, you know, I liked the way it wrapped up, i got to be honest with you, but it, it could have – I, th- I think the entire first issue of it <laughs> could have been removed yeah. and replaced with something more substantial. Cause I, I think feel it like could have been a one-shot. You That's know, the the only the only page that I enjoyed in this entire issue three of the Hal Jordan, you know, Hal Jordan is has, is flying the plane that's got the big bomb that's going to take down the Amazonian shield uh, over Themyscira, and he's got the Blackhawks, you know, flying in with him and Carol Ferris, and as they approach the Amazonian stronghold, um, and I forget this character's name, is it Giant Lady? 
what's the name of this character? <laughs> Giganta. Giganta. Okay, so so Giganta, you know, big giant redheaded lady in a you know leopard print bikini, is grabbing airplanes out of the air and crashing them. And there is this awesome scene where Carol Ferris in her jet shoots out her eyes. Yes. And I'm like, that is so cool. <laughs> <laughs> and you know the, she she doesn't shoot them out with like the machine guns on her on her jet. She shoots them out with missiles. And so what's awesome is that you've got all this smoke pouring out of the eye sockets of Giganta as she topples back onto the onto Themyscira. I thought that was pretty badass. I'm like, I, you know, you should do that in every book. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing that would have made that better is if you had gotten a shot where the missiles were going out the back of her head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, uh, you know, the art on this book was actually really good. Yeah, on um, some pages. On some pages. I, th- uh, I don't I, think I, that it was well, 100% effort. I think the faces were done well. Uh-huh. Um, you know, unfortunately, you know, the, the book is not much in the way of faces. It's all like an aerial battle. Yeah. Um, it just, you know, the emotional impact wasn't there because they, they didn't really give us anything to care about in Hal no. Jordan. No. And uh, well, as everyone already knows from Flashpoint number four, Hal Jordan did it. That's right. So, so. We've, we've known for a while that, that Hal was going to die in this book. Um, so, you know, that took off, took out any uh, sort of emotional risk on it going into it. Plus, you know, I'm sorry. These are, these are you know, these Flashpoint books are essentially Elseworlds books. They're alternate reality. You know, we've only known these characters in, in these spinoffs for three issues. There's not a tremendous amount of emotional investment here. You know, so the fact that Hal Jordan dies in this alternate universe really doesn't mean shit to me. Really. You know <laughs> uh, what I'm saying? But you know, I got to say, I, I, I agree with you on Hal Jordan. However, we're spoiling the hell out of these books. <laughs> um, Lois Lane and the Resistance and Project Superman. Um, I, I I actually was a little, you know, like sad about the the death of a. Uh, I'm just gonna say it that Lois Lane dying. Now, Paul. Yes. You know I love and respect you, but you're a little no. ridiculous here. <laughs> I, I thought Lois Lane and the Resistance was a much better book than issue two. Um, yes. Issue two irritated me in that there was very little Lois Lane in it and a whole lot more resistance. Um, I liked the story with uh, Penelope and explaining that, and I hope we get to see more of her. Um, I, th- I think she's an interesting character. Um, I liked the nice reveal where Britannia shows uh, Wonder Woman what in the world's going on that she hadn't been aware of, you know, the detention centers, the genetic experiments, all that kind of fun stuff. Um, I thought that was great. The scene where Britannia punches Artemis in half, um, is a fantastic scene. We should have more people being punched in half. Um, you know, it was a violent to, week at the Flashpoint universe. It really was. We should have more people get their eyes shot out with missiles, and we should have more people punched in half. Yeah, yeah, sounds, w- like, sounds like you guys are reading Invincible, DC. <laughs> I, I would also be happy if someone could be kicked apart. <laughs> <laughs> you know, some big George Washington, you know, kick him apart kind of thing. That I, 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 could, I, I could go for that. I thought this was a good book. 
Now, of course, you know, the title is Lois Lane and the Resistance, and Lois Lane dies this week in the Flashpoint universe, but not in her own title. Correct. They, For- they give the impression that she dies, and then you find out, as it leads into Project Superman number three, it, she did not die at that moment. Yeah. Um, Superman came and saved her. Now, Project Superman is a book that, um, you know, Andrew has not been real happy with. But I, I, I've rather enjoyed this series. You know, he didn't care for, you know, the very Akira kind of moments with uh, Subject Zero. But I, I really like this. I like it when we get to see a Superman that we've not seen before. You know? Well, and I agree. Uh, I think Superman, I love the way Superman's portrayed in the series. I have to say, I think they focused too much on Subject Zero. I agree. I think there's a little bit more, you know, Subject Zero than, than I want. But I do like how unique a view this story, th- this perspective is on uh, on on you know Kal El. Um, but I'm sorry, I just didn't feel the loss with with Lois Lane in this book. Well, I'm, not, I, I, I'm okay. It's not like I cried. I just felt it a little you more than wept I felt on the big death of salty tears, you big Nancy. <laughs> but I gotta say, it. I liked this book because it takes place. Literally moments after um, Flashpoint number three, I think, or maybe even four, um, where Superman abandons – oh, no, it's the end of Flashpoint number three, where Superman abandons Flash, Batman, and Cyborg after they rescue him. And you find out it's not because he's a pansy. Mm-hmm. He, he, he goes looking for Lois Lane. Yeah, I like that there was a reason for him running away. Mm-hmm. You know, it, you know, he, he he wasn't. He went to find Lois and save Lois. Yeah, that was his. You know, she was the only person in his life who had been nice to him. And the first thing he did when he got out is, you know, try to tap that ass. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. But you know, she doesn't like the scrawny men. No. You know. Apparently not. Yeah. It said she dies. It sounds like he doesn't do a very good job of saving her. Yeah. No. No. I, well, well, in fact, he's the one who's responsible for her death, kind of, in in the he way really he is. stops the villain. <laughs> Yeah, uh, no, but you know he and, and I think and I think that's a fair story point in that he doesn't have the experience being a hero and watching out for people and understanding the frailty of the people around him. You sure. know, I, I I mean I think I think that's a fair story point. One of the sad things about Flashpoint ending is that this is a character I would have liked to have seen more of. Mm-hmm. You know, I would like to see it would be interesting to see in the long run how a character like this Superman recovers from it, you know, because I would think you would have a tremendous amount of emotional baggage having grown up in a, in essentially a prison facility your entire life, Mm -hmm. you know, being experimented on and treated as a non-person. I would think that, that, that even though you are an intrinsically good natured person, I would think that that would give you some issues, you know, and it would be nice to see that kind of a broken Superman story. Well, and what's interesting, it does look like Superman is going to pop up in Flashpoint number five. Now, yeah. of course, I'd imagine, you know, given how much has to be resolved in Flashpoint number five, we're not going to see right. any of that right. emotional impact or character impact. But I do look forward to seeing how he plays into the finale of Flashpoint. Yeah. So, I, you know, I I picked up Kid Flash Lost uh, number three this week, but I haven't read it yet. Paul, tell me about it. All right. So Kid Flash Lost wraps up the Kid Flash uh Lost uh, storyline. Now, the for those who don't remember, the Kid Flash is he's in, he's stuck in the Flashpoint universe, but he does remember the regular DC universe. He's much like the Flash, 
Um, he's one of the few people who remembers the universe as it was. Um, and so in Kid Flash Lost, he is basically Kid Flash. The Speed Force has turned Kid Flash into the Black Flash so that he can gather up the powers of all the previous Speed Force bearers, whether they be Wally West or Max Mercury or a Hot Pursuit. And basically, um, Kid Flash gathers all of this energy and transfers it all and sacrifices himself to transfer it all to Barry Allen during the finale of Flashpoint number five, um, so that Barry Allen has the strength to, to, uh, to fix the universe or at least, you know, defeat the villain. So, you know, it, it is, I mean, we know Kid Flash is in the new DC universe, um, but to a certain extent, this is kind of like the death of Kid Flash. Mm-hmm. Um, now, <sighs> the book itself is not very good. Um, it's just uh, there's there's some interesting aspects to it, but it does feel a little rushed. It, it feels like, and and I've said this is the third time I'm going to say it. It feels like the first issue of this series really just could have been erased to get to the story, because um, it feels like you know there there was a month where they didn't want to reveal too much, then a month that they were finally able to start the story, and then a month where oh we got to wrap up fucking everything to lead up into Flashpoint <laughs> number. Four. Five. Yeah. Um, and that's very much what Kid Flash Lost felt like. Not a bad story, but not my favorite. Um, and not definitely not as good as Project Superman or Lois Lane and the Resistance. But I wonder how Wonder Woman number 614 ties up into that. You know, is it as good? Does it does it does it stand up? Is it better? This is the last one for uh, for Wonder Woman on this title, isn't it? Yeah. Yep. It is the last pre, you know, pre end of Flashpoint Wonder Woman. Yeah, and in fact, I, I think that, that and Green Lantern Emerald Warriors, which we're going to talk about in the in a little bit, you know, last DC Universe uh, post Infinite Crisis uh, stories. Very sad. Well, you know, this is Wonder Woman six fourteen, and what I what I actually liked about it is that. Um, much like Red Robin, it felt like a good ending to me. It, it felt like it felt like they had at least were able to adapt enough to have a good wrap point. Yeah, it definitely was an ending, and there's a lot of talk in here about Wonder Woman knows the world is about to change. She senses that you know that time is going to be changed, that she's going to become a new Wonder Woman. You know, as the book's wrapping up, that's one of the things they talk about a lot is that she knows that this is coming. But that after everything she's just gone through being a new person, she's not worried about it because she knows she'll still be her no matter what. Yeah, I, I like that part. I thought the 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 fight with the uh, nemesis god creature was a little anticlimactic considering <laughs> the end of the last Wonder Woman was so good. You, here's my bitch with that fight. So she's this, you know, ancient god. She's, you know, fairly attractive ancient god that's fighting Wonder Woman all this time. But then she decides, okay, I need a better form to fight her. So she sucks in all these spirits to become a fat chick. The alternate form is just her with a big bulging stomach. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Nothing else changes. <laughs> she becomes a fat chick with one gigantic chubby arm. The other arm's still pretty thin. And so did, did her ankles go missing as well? Well, you can't really see her legs through her stomach. They're, you can tell they're behind her, but you can't really see the ankle. So I'm going to say yes, they went missing. And she's got all these, like, scorpion hair dread things. None of those yeah. ever came into play in this fight. I'm like, wow, those would be things that they should be using. Well, and even worse, she's wearing this really skimpy costume. That, and she doesn't change her costume when she turns into a fat chick. Yeah. It was it was ridiculous. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't like that at all. So, as a, as a whole for the story, I, you know, you, you, Tim, you said that you know, you felt like it was a satisfying ending. You know, when you look at you know from beginning to end, where you started to where you ended, how do you feel about the whole run? I think that fifty two made them change the ending to six fourteen. I think had they not reset the the six thirteen would have been the end of it. Oh really? And I really would have loved that as the ending. This, eh, I mean, like I said, it felt anticlimactic. Like, mm-hmm. I didn't need to read this one. I, I kind of, I kind of felt like that better ending was, was in the last issue. I so, completely agree. I mean, I think overall the story was great. I think it stumbled at the end. It didn't fall down entirely at the end, like a lot of you know big DC stories do, but it did stumble considerably at the end. Yeah. And I, and I think, I. I the middle, the middle of stories, the ones where she's trying to not give herself into this like this rage, this Amazonian rage. Those were good stories. Like when she broke that one guy's back, that was kind of like half, you know, centaur, half person. That was pretty hot. <laughs> you know. So, and I, I, I don't necessarily blame either JMS or Phil Hester. I think they had a really good story planned. I think that they had to change it three quarters of the way in somewhat, and I don't. I don't think they did necessarily a bad job doing it, because like I said, at the end of six six fourteen was a fairly decent wrap point, but I felt like you know it it, it downgraded it a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I would I would recommend getting getting the. I'm sure they're going to come out in two trades. This this uh, this Wonder Woman Odyssey kind of storyline. I would yeah, recommend that getting first it. trade is already out, so yeah, I highly recommend that first it was trade. A, it was a, it was a good ride. It's enough for me to get Wonder Woman number one, even though the art scares the bejesus out of me. <laughs> you know, I I remember last week you guys were talking about the Wonder Woman art, not uh, not being interested in it. I like it. It kind of reminds me a little bit of Darwin Cook. The cover to the new Wonder Woman just looks like it was drawn by a little kid to me. It, yeah, it just does not look good. Maybe the interior art's better, and I'm really hoping the interior art's better. But I can't take that cover seriously. It doesn't look professionally done at all. Ah. See, I like this. I, from what I've seen, I've liked the style of it. When you compare it to all the other like blurbs that we mm-hmm. see, like even on that, like you know, that your back page of uh, your DC books, yeah, it doesn't stand up. Everything else looks better, <laughs> so it's like. Eh, but it's a cover, like I said, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna hold that against it, and you know, sure. I guess we'll we'll have to we'll have to wait and see where it goes. So this week, two highly anticipated 
by this podcast anyway, uh, titles came out from DC in their retroactive line. We had uh, DC Retroactive Green Lantern uh, uh, from from the 90s, as well as a 90s retroactive story of Superman. Aaron, I, I think you, I think you got the I think you got it mixed up a little. This is the DC Old Man Initiative. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, but you just called three of us old men. <laughs> okay. Yeah, are you and, cool my, and my wife an old man because she loved this Green Lantern. So, okay, t- tell us about Green Lantern Retroactive by Ron so, Mars and Daryl Banks. I've already said many times that this is my Green Lantern. Kyle is the Green Lantern I started reading Green Lantern with. Uh, I love the character. It was one of the few books that my wife read through with me, and she's a huge fan of the character. So picking this up you know, by Ron Mars, this is the one I'd been most looking forward to. And it, I was not disappointed at all. It really felt like it was a book told in that time frame. The time frame's a little bit before when I started reading the book, because by the time I jumped on, he was already dating Jade, and he's still dating Donna here. And I have picked up some of the older issues, too. But it it felt like it really was from that time frame. I've picked up some of these other retro ones, like the retro Superman 80s, and none of them have actually felt right to me. This one felt right. And for you can't get better than the first panel being, you know, first page being three panels of Batman punching out Guy Gardner. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I love that that's the gift he's giving Guy is him painting yeah. a picture of him taking a, you know, a, a, a punch to the face from Batman. Happy birthday. It's, Here's a yeah, picture it, of you getting it's hit. It's not a birthday gift for Batman. It's a birthday gift for Guy. Yeah, I think that's hysterical. And I loved all through it. the And something that has, we've really been missing that we haven't seen since the 90s, Kyle's take on Batman. Yeah. As he's going through, it's just he naturally accepts Batman knows everything. Well, and that was a, I mean, that was a big part of those stories was his awe of Batman. Yeah, you know, because you know, I know that you know folks read uh, Green Lantern these days, and it feels like Kyle's been a Green Lantern for forever. But back in the '90s, you know, he was a painter who got the ring from Ganthet, you know, and and you know, he had to figure out how to be a superhero. He didn't have what you might call a natural calling to this line of work. Um, so, you know, he, you know, and he didn't have any relationships to the superheroes. So he was an outsider coming in. So he was really our eyes into the DC universe and was expressing a lot of the things that we think about Batman and a lot of things that we think about those other heroes. And this issue capt- recaptured all of that. It captured what I really miss about the early Kyle issues, and that's everything he makes is unique and cool looking and intricate. Mm hmm. You don't get like a a giant fist. You get here's this missile that I've never seen look like this before. Here's an axe, and this axe has all of these intricate designs to it. You know, here's a fire truck with firemen and a dog peeing on a fire hydrant. Just like all the details of his ring constructs, I get such a kick out of that, and I I really miss that in the Green Lantern books because we don't have that level of detail right now from any of the ones that I've been picking up lately. There's I a what, I think what Wayne's saying is that people that use giant fists are kind of are kind of douchebags. I think Yeah, that's I fair. Think, if I had to if I had to guess, that's what he's saying. Well, even at one point here Tim, he makes Hal and and uh uh and Guy. 
he needs someone, you know, some big construct to move rubble. So he makes a Green Lantern construct of a giant Hal Jordan and a giant Guy Gardner lifting and moving rubble. Editorial note, seat and there's a Rainbow Six. <laughs> you can continue. Um, there's this nice scene where he's, you know, he's doing monitor duty up in the uh, watchtower on the moon. And you know he's painting his his his, uh, his his gift for Guy, and then on the monitors you've got you know different scenes of what's going on in the DC universe at the time, and it's nice just to look and see. Okay, well you've got you know uh, post Doomsday Superman there, you've got Blue Beetle who's doing something there with the JLI, you've got Batman. I mean, it's kind of nice to see on the monitors just as kind of a throwaway shot what else is going on in that time period. So it really does set where you are in this story. I, I, I dug it. I have missed Ron Mars working on Kyle. I uh, missed Daryl Banks. And I love, and you know, it's just an added bonus that Terry Austin's doing the colors on this book. Yeah. I was so disappointed by every other retro book I've picked up. And this one just really hit it for me. This is what I was hoping for. This had the, the feel of it. I, this was my book of the week. I was so happy with this book. And I just need to correct. It's Terry Austin's doing the inks, not the colors mm-hmm. on the book. But yeah, I I dug it. And I even dug the, uh, you know, on these retro books, they give you, you know, a full original story. And then they give you a reprint story from back in the day. And I even like the reprint story. Yeah, the reprint story was one where I didn't have the original issue of that. Mm-hmm. So I've never read this reprint story. I've yep. gone back and got a lot of the older Kyle stuff. But this was one I didn't manage to get, so it was new to me. Yeah, it was good. I, I, the, I this was the most satisfying of the retros that I've picked up. Um, now, a close second for me though is the retroactive Superman book by uh, Louise Simonson and John Bagdano. Just like Ron Mars and Daryl Banks, this was the creative team on the Superman book uh, back then. Mm. And uh, Paul read this. Paul, what'd you think? I did, and uh, I enjoyed it. I got to be honest; it uh, <laughs> you you know exactly where the story takes place. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it takes place right after you know the Superman Lobo fight, which I remember fondly. That was a a create your own cover. <laughs> it, it had little stickers, and you could create your own cover of Superman fighting Lobo um, back in the nineties. But I remember that. I've got that issue. Yeah, this takes place right after that. So you still got long-haired Superman, you know, uh, post-Doomsday. You know, there are references to Doomsday. You've got the Lex Luthor clone, the red-haired Lex Luthor clone that's dying, as well as the mutants under the street, the underdwellers um, that are also dying, created by Cadmus. And I just – and in fact, it, there's a – the, the reprint at the back of the issue very much ties in with the first, so you, yeah, w- with the, what, the opening story. Which I thought was a nice touch. Yeah, because, I mean, it, the, the opening story very much references the reprint. Yeah. Um, you know, and some of the other stories don't play in that much. I mean, you could see where they take place in the story, but they aren't as tied in. This really felt like, like it could have been a lost issue Yeah. from that see, time frame. Hearing all this, I'm really disappointed I didn't pick it up then. I picked up the Superman in the 80s, and I was so disappointed by it that I didn't even touch the 90s one. Yeah. The 80s one was set before Crisis on Infinite Earths, <laughs> but it didn't – like I thought the whole point of these books were they were supposed to fit into that era, era and be a story that could have been told then. But the Superman one was 
basically they're showing him everything that's going to happen in the new DC universe over the next 20 years. Mm-hmm. So he sees Infinite Crisis, he sees Blackest Night, he sees the fight with Doomsday, and they're showing Superman all this and giving him the choice of whether to keep fighting or not. And it's like, that was really... It wasn't a story that could have just taken place then. It was obviously a story written now to fit back you know, right before that time frame. It just didn't have that feel at all of a story that would have been told then. You, you know, really what this uh, book reminded me is how much I miss seeing uh, John Bogdanov's artwork. Because I really like the way he draws Superman. Yeah, and it's funny because, you know, with the reprint, you can see his artwork has changed over the years. Yeah. Um, but it still has the same touches. You know, you still yeah. have the same type of character uh, movements. You know, it's a little more detailed than it previously was. I just, it was just such a nice callback to, this was a perfect example of how they should have done the retroactive books. I agree. Well, and what really I find interesting, you know, because again, you know, it's the same team that did the the new piece as did the reprint. And so he's drawing the same characters in the same era. And it's really interesting to like compare the way he draws Professor Hamilton, you know, yes. uh, versus the way he used to draw him back, you know, in, in the original storyline. Because, you know, Professor Hamilton, you know, an older fella, long gray hair, beard, almost looks like he could be homeless. But you look at him in the news story, and there's this just very uh, almost cartoonish aspect to the way he draws uh, Professor Hamilton. Well, you don't know yeah, his housing arrangement. He might be homeless. <laughs> <laughs> this is true, Tim. Okay. <laughs> but yeah. What are you trying to say? Homeless people, all homeless people look alike? Is that what you're trying to say? That is exactly what I'm trying to say. That's what I thought. Just wanted yeah. to be sure. So, yeah. Uh, and... All homeless people know each other. And we welcome any homeless <laughs> listeners if they want to email or you know, call into the number to, you know, just to tell Aaron he's wrong. And and those guys are probably burn-stealing. So, yeah. Just saying. Yeah, burn-stealing the podcast, too. <laughs> yeah. So another Superman book this week um, was Superman Beyond Issue Zero. Yes. By uh, the creative team that brought us Thunderstrike, Tom DeFalco and Ron Friends, with uh, touches with from Sal Buscema. Paul, you and I were big fans of that uh, of that Batman of that Superman uh, annual. It was a Batman yes. Superman annual, wasn't it? It was a Superman Batman annual. Yeah. Yes, uh, huge fans of that. What'd you think of this? I, I, it sounds like you're building up. To disappointment, but I loved this issue. Oh, oh no, no, I loved it too. I was okay. all over this. I, I was waiting for you to say, "Fuck this book." No, uh, <laughs> no, that's, I, what I, that's where I thought you were going too, Aaron. I wasn't sure what I was going to think of uh, of the Ron Friends uh, pencils on mm-hmm. Superman, but holy shit, I loved it. Yeah, the, this book was awesome. Yeah, the the the, pa- the, the big full page of, of Superman uh, flying in from uh, from the rooftops. Uh, you know, after he has punched out the bad guy the first time, um, is pretty damn spectacular. Um, I love, I, I love the artwork. So the style of it, and there is almost a Batman Beyond kind of sens- sensibility to the way they're drawing it, but not so overly stylized. Um, you know, in fact, I, I would venture to say, you know, it's got some of that, but 
there's a very classical look to yes. Superman in this book with yes, the cleft chin and there's a, a full page spread where he's flying down. I think that's the page you're referring to. Yes, sir. You know, he's flying down after saving Green Lantern and just there's this full page spread of Superman and it's just dynamite. Yeah, it is. It is very heroic in mm. the manner in which he's depicted. And I got to say, I think what Paul is responding to so much in this story is that this is very much a lower powered Superman. You know, he is not, he is not the Superman of the 1990s for whatever reason, this Superman has, you know, experienced a, a, an ebb in his superness, if you will. Yeah. I'm curious if it's his age or if it's just everything he's gone through, or you know what it is, and that's going to be interesting going through the title and seeing what caused that, if they even get around to spending more details on it. Yeah, absolutely. So Wayne, you know you you are a hardcore Superman dude. What'd you think? I really enjoyed this. I did think the Superman Batman annual was better, but that's just because that was this golden pedestal that is going to be hard for them to top. Yeah, but I I did enjoy I enjoyed it quite a bit. I thought we got to see some of Superman's real character in here, you know, willing to sacrifice himself to save the guy that just almost killed him. Uh, I love the conversation between Bruce and uh, and Clark at the end. Yeah, there really isn't much to the conversation, but just the just kind of the tone of it, the you know, welcoming him back and such. So, the Superman Beyond title is ongoing post-September, right? You know, the uh, the Superman Beyond title has not been announced yet, but neither has Batman Beyond. I think they're waiting to start those either late 2011 or early 2012. But we believe that's going to happen. Well, I'd imagine it depends on the sales of this issue, but that was – that from what I hear, that's the plan. So it seems to me the way Wayne and I are going to get our, you know – John Byrne era <laughs> uh, <laughs> Superman is going to be in this title. And you know what? I'm okay with that. Because <laughs> yeah, the biggest thing we're going to lose when the John Byrne you know, Superman is gone for good is the John Byrne Clark Kent. Yeah. And you know what? This Clark Kent is that Clark Kent. Yeah. So I, right now I'm feeling a little bit better. I need them to hurry up and announce the ongoing title. Because I dug this book. I dug the Batman Superman annual that we're referring back to. Um, great stuff. Great yeah, stuff. Get, you know, I do wish they would have much... drawn the line at two ninety nine though. <laughs> that uh, would have been You know well. what? It was oversized, so I didn't mind it. Yeah. I dug it. I, 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 I yeah, love seeing too. these guys working on this. And I hope this is the creative team when it comes on. I really do. Oh, this yeah. Is just, same here. They I, knocked I need, it out of the park. Yeah. I need it to be DeFalco and friends. Mm-hmm. So, oh, good stuff. So, also in, well, not even also. Yeah. I don't even know how to transition to this one. I'm not very good with the transitions. But, What's up uh, with that, Paul? Today. Well, you know, there's a hurricane going on outside, and I can see, like, trees blowing all over the place and sirens. And so it's looking a little dicey out there. You big baby. I know, it's just I a little know. wind and rain. It's just the largest storm ever. <laughs> don't be a puss paul you'll be fine you know you'll be fine you know, in your paul, room of windows it sounds like you're filled with fear you don't have what it takes to be a green lantern Ah, see there you go 
<laughs> Green Lantern Emerald Warriors number 13, the last issue of the series, was released today, um, written by Pete Tomasi, with art by the aforementioned Ron Friends, actually. Oh, really? Um, yes. Nice to see Ron getting some work. Featuring a team-up between Batman and Green Lantern as they are uh, tackling a murder mystery in space. Tim, what would you think of this book? Well, I I really wanted a little bit more Guy Gardner, Batman kind of uh, friction than we got. There was some, but it wasn't... It wasn't it wasn't ramped up to the Justice League international levels that I liked. Yeah, I flipped uh, through the book and if Batman would have punched him knocked him out in one punch even once, I would have bought the title. Well then that that, that would have been that would have been awful. <laughs> I don't want Guy Gardner getting knocked out again. But I, there wasn't enough friction in it for me. I, I liked the art. I thought the art was solid, and I, and I like the fact that uh, the Coyote's not the only superhero that goes to a baseball game. That was yeah. kind of cool. But uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, I I thought it was a solid B, but I thought it could have been a lot better. Just having noticed that it was Bruce Wayne and Guy Gardner, you know. Yeah, I gotta say, you know, you're giving it a solid B. I'd probably give it closer to a C. Um, you know, it, it's very much a mediocre book. It's a filler tale. Uh, you know, it doesn't, unlike some of the other Green Lantern books that we've read that have that tie into the War of the Green Lanterns. Um, Emerald Warriors was trying this thing for the last three issues. Hey, let's do these done in one tales, and um, really they were all just filler tales. To be you know, honest. I both that was the real them. reason I didn't pick this up because I flipped through it, and if it would have been tied in any way to all the changes they're making. To, uh, to Green Lantern to get it ready for the Flashpoint end, I would have picked it up because I've picked up every Green Lantern title for the last month and a half. But this one did seem like it was a done-in-one tale with Guy and Batman. Well, and that's why let, I didn't get it. Let's talk about that because that's I think that's a decent strategy considering what you know DC kind of threw on the doorsteps of these creators. Like, I don't know if I would want to try to have to scramble you know, tremendously and uh, you know, try to figure out how I'm going to, you know, wrap up my books. And some of them did well. Like I said, I thought Wonder Woman did well. I thought Red Robin did well. But I mean, this is just—I think this is just as decent a strategy as having to, uh, you know, try to figure out what other books are doing specifically that month to try to tie it into, you know, the continuity of the Green Lantern universe for the last, you know, two months of the story. I kind of like I've kind of liked these Greek Guy Gardner done in one tales. Uh, you know, maybe that's just me, but I think as a, well. I mean, you're also a big guy fan, so these are probably great for you to have. Yeah, but I, I think like other DC books, I would think that was it would be a, a a fair strategy too. Like I wouldn't be downgrading creative teams if they decided to, you know, have to instead of scramble to go hey well what's what's a couple stories we have that we've been wanting to tell that we've been waiting for a you know a, a pause in the story especially green lantern which the story's been ongoing for what three years now well that was the interesting thing about the green lantern books other than this one was they didn't seem to be trying to wrap everything up they were making changes to be what we're going to see post you know post flashpoint it doesn't look like there's much changing in Flashpoint because of Flashpoint. All the changes have happened in the last few issues. I've kind of enjoyed that. 
So, uh, yeah, Emerald Warriors. Uh, like I said, I would I'd give it a I'd give it a B. I but I am biased towards the main character. I'm kind of sad that I have to buy em- uh, Green Lantern Core if I want more of more Guy Gardner coming up next month. But it'll be curious to see how how they shake all that into the new Fifty Two. I'm 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 curious to see what what parts of the continuity they're going to leave in and what parts they leave out. Now, see if Guy Gardner was leading the Red Lantern Corps, that not only would that that book would that would book might be bought twice just like during the mystery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, that is the only one of the new Green Lantern books I'm not getting is the Red Red oh, Lantern. I'm, I'm totally doing the Red Lantern book. Oh, I I I sort of want to. But you know, like I said, I, I'm not sure that Atrostis or Bleez or any of those guys are strong enough to to lead a series. But you've got Red Kitty Cat in there too, so yeah. But I, you got so Red Kitty Cat can carry that story. We've got to support Red Kitty Cat so that DJ Kitty can play the role in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I do I do appreciate the pain of buying the books twice, though, Aaron, because <laughs> this week I bought. Uh, incorruptible twice because it had different covers and i got it from two different shops and then before <laughs> that that superman from the 80s that i hated so much you bought it twice i bought it twice because what? i bought i went to one shop to get it specifically because my shop didn't seem to have it but when i had gone to my shop i told them you know well these are the ones i'm interested in did they come out and so they apparently added me to a list uh. and when i come in it's there sitting in my uh in my stack and it's it's like I don't want to put this back because they special ordered it. So wow, those I retro books are five bucks it. too. <laughs> yeah, I ended up buying a book I didn't even like twice, yeah. and it was a five dollar book. <laughs> and then I bought uh, Incorruptible twice this week as well. So, and as I went through my comics that I was sorting in the basement, I had almost a half bo- half short box full of doubles that yeah. I had my wife sell on Craigslist. Usually, when I have doubles, it's because I'm like in a quarter bin or something, and I'm like, I'm not sure if I own that or not. It's only a quarter. I'll go ahead and pick it up. You know, I do but, that all the too. Yeah, that, that's when that generally happens to me. It's rare that I've paid full cover price for the same book more than usually. Once. When it happens <laughs> to me, it's if it's not the quarter bin thing, it's because they have alternate covers, and I'll see it and I'll I'll know that I didn't see that cover before. Oh, that's, so you're not you're not buying it for the collectability. You're thinking it's a different issue. Exactly. Okay. Because I was and about to I, chastise you for that. I open it and I get to the first page and I realize it's something I already own and I kick yeah. myself for it. You know, and that used to ha- back before the internets, that used to happen to me quite a bit. You know, where they would do a second printing and they'd put a fresh cover on it. You know, and you'd grab it and you'd get home and like, damn it! <laughs> but now that we have internets and pull lists and that kind of thing, that doesn't happen to me quite so frequently. But hey, Paul and Tim read Dungeons and Dragons number ten, and I want to know: is it good enough to buy twice? <laughs> I'll let Tim start off on this one. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Um. God. God damn yard. Um. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So there were four artists four. on this book. Four. <laughs> and not for a reason, mind no. you. I, well, not for a story reason. I, I think it was literally because you know they were short on time. The main artist could only do seven pages, and so they're like, well. Let's just try to get this book out on time. So they got three other people to do seven pages each, and it was a tr- it was a train wreck of of art. It was awful. It was 
Oh, it was like those books you get when it has like three different stories in it by the three different artists. Only this is the same story. Yeah. Oh, God and, I, dang it. I, and here's the thing: the story on Dungeons and Dragons has been pretty decent since the beginning. The art has really kind of floundered since the first story arc, and the artist is Andrea Davido, who I think you said was on Avengers Academy last week, if I remember correctly. Yes. Uh, I think he's maybe just stretch, you know, stretching too far because, you know, the art on this book is suffering. Well, I, like, the the pages that that he that the, he she did, I, I I didn't think were bad. It's just when you when you switch to the other artist, Horatio Dominguez, that's a pretty, you know, and then then switch gears to it to another one that's like. I don't know. I actually like Vincente Alcazar. I yeah. kind of like that art style. Now, granted, I, I'm not. You know, they only did a couple pages of it, so I, I don't know. It, yeah. it's, it's it's like a roller coaster. It is. It's two. It, the, the, I I can get two artists, four artists on one book without any type of reasoning for it. It's not like it's flashbacks. It's not like we're alternate universing or anything like that. You know, it's it's the same story and it just jumps from page to page. It's uh it's very distracting. Yeah. Right? So, you know, it, it hurt the book because it, it is a well written book. There's a lot of humor in it. The same type of stuff we've enjoyed since the beginning, but that art just it I, I, I totally agree with Tim. I swear to God I was reading through this book, I thought I was having a stroke. It's like, oh, look at that. Oh, why is this different? Am, am I am I ill? And then I looked <laughs> on the front page. Oh, look at that. Four freaking artists. Fantastic. Yeah, that was the first thing I noticed because I'm like – because, you know, the last couple of issues have had Andrea DeVito maybe starting the book and someone else finishing it. So the first thing I did was check that credits page, and I saw, holy shit. <laughs> there are four different artists on this book. I would I would much rather them push out the, the scheduling – to make sure that one that one and one and maximum two do the do the do the do the arts for these because the story I've loved the story and now granted the flat the flashback was kind of meh to me but like the main storyline's been like really good but I can't I can't comprehend having to look through this book more than once because I I looked through it once I'm like. I, like I was do, I was looking through it again for just talking about it, and I had to I had to shut it. And I'm like, no. <laughs> yeah, it it'll make you angry. Uh, so I, I John Rogers get, gets a pass, um, but hopefully the editorials can uh, get them back in line. Because goddamn, I want this book to be really good, and it has been really good, and then solid. For the flashback stuff, but uh, I can't I can't deal with four hours. Yeah, I'd I mean, ra- if you I'd have rather to be every other month. Exactly. If you have to do bi-monthly, if you have to do every six weeks, Andrea Devito is a dynamite artist on this book. Mm-hmm. Leave him on this book. Pay him what he wants, so he stops doing work for Marvel. Try you know while slacking on his Dungeons and Dragons duties because the book is hurting for it. Uh, you know, I got to be honest. If this is the way the book is going to be. And I'm going to give it to the end of the storyline. But if this is the way the book is going to be, as much as I love this book, I'm just going to start buying it in trade. Especially since they've released these fancy trades that look like the Dungeons & Dragons uh, tabletop books. Mm. Play, playing books. If they, you know, Because they're so – I mean they're, they're pretty awesome looking trades. 
um, I'm just going to start buying those instead of buying it on a monthly basis. And I hate to do that because I do like reading the book, but it, it's frustrating on a month-to-month basis. I and I, I'll even go further. I won't even buy it and trade. I will look every every week to see if there's, you know, one creative team basically. And if so, then it might come back on my list. But you'll start bird stealing it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Which, Aaron, I think you've got your title now. I think we do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, you know who else burn steals? Kevin Smith burn steals. He does. You know, you Only guys. When, he's, when he burns steals, he's burning a fatty and then stealing. <laughs> <laughs> he's rolling a joint from the cover That's of Bionic right. Man number one in and the McDonald's and Walmart. I gotta say, I am a huge Six Million Dollar Man fan. I I I I loved that series. I loved the Bionic Woman. I uh, you know across the playground, I used to run like the Six Million Dollar Man. Da na na na, da na 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 na. In slow motion, of course. Um, <laughs> I, I huge, huge love for Steve Austin. And uh, issue Me one, too. Austin three sixteen, baby. <laughs> issue one of the Bionic Man, uh, based on Kevin Smith's script for a six million dollar man movie. And just like the uh, Green Hornet, uh, which didn't wind up being the movie, they've taken the script over at Dynamite and turned it into a comic book uh, by the same uh, creative team that brought you Green Hornet last year. So that's inclusive of uh, Phil Hester and Jonathan Lau. And issue one is fantastic. I thoroughly enjoyed this. There is a reason why this book has already sold out and is going into its second printing. Uh, it's just a terrific story. Um, of course, it's all origin. You know, we're still very early into it. Steve Austin hasn't yet become the Bionic Man, but it's you know the uh, plane crash happens at the end of this issue, and uh, it's just fantastic. I, I highly recommend it, and I am on this like Donkey Kong. You know, it really is the best way to do Kevin Smith books. You don't let him write it. You let someone else take what he already wrote and, you know, convert it. Because that's the only way it's going to come out on time. And th- that is a truth. As much as I love Kevin Smith, that is a truth. And uh, I, I, yeah, I'm a huge fan. He just can't put out a comic book at, at time at all. Yeah. So anyway, I I, I love it. Um, you know, in typical Dynamite fashion, there are a gazillion different alternative covers. Um, so, you know, you have your choice, <laughs> uh, but I, I love it. Pick it up. It's good stuff. I am all with I, him, though. Every time you say uh, Steve Austin, all I think of is Stone Cold. Yep. <laughs> it, it doesn't even come to mind, Million Dollar Man. Nope. If you want me to whip Paul Potty's ass, give me a hell yeah. Hell yeah? Hell yeah. Hell yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah, whoop it. <laughs> I'm going to fly down there and stop a mud hole in your ass. That's what I'm going to do. Jesus Christ. So uh, what our <laughs> listeners are not aware of is that we have lost Paul three times in this uh, recording today uh, due to due weather in his parts. So, um, you know, Paul, if, if this is indeed your last ever recording uh, because you have gone missing in the horrible, horrible storm, uh, we'll mostly miss you. Uh, yeah. Mostly. You know, my wife didn't appreciate me calling our dinner last night our last supper. <laughs> <laughs> I can see why. <laughs> if this is Paul's last step, you know, last episode alive, then we do have to, uh, we do need to put the word out that we'll need a new Photoshop guy for uh, for creating our logos. That's exactly right. So, so I, I gotta I gotta speak about next week's comics a little bit. Okay. 
people are trying to shame me into getting Justice League number one. Do it. Do it. I, I, I can't do it. Come on, do it. Do, do it. It's do the it. most exciting. Everybody exci- else on this podcast getting Justice League one. I am. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. Do it, you pussy. Buy two copies. <laughs> <laughs> Buy two copies and burn steel one. <laughs> it'll be your it'll be your first glimpse of what the new Wonder Woman's going to be. Yeah, but it's all in the past, craptastic. I can't I can't do it. You can do it. People yeah. are tr- people are excited about this and trying to like convince me that the excitement should you know flow into me spending money, and I'm like I don't know. Do it. I'm excited. It's a slow week next week. How slow is it? <laughs> All right. So looking it's at next so week. It's so slow. <laughs> it's, I mean, there's Amazing Spider-Man, which you read. There's uh, Mighty Thor, which you don't read. So you have one book next week. You can buy Justice League. I, I've, I've shotgun approached one book in this, in this podcast before. It could happen again. You can do Justice League. It's worth it. Do it. Well, we'll see. If you don't do it for us, do it for Torg. Do it for America. America. (laughs) Do it for America. Well, Paul, I think this is where we say goodbye. Maybe for the last time. Yeah. Well, I'll see you guys on the other side. (laughs) All right, everybody. You have a good week. (laughs) Thanks, guys. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast.